0: A lot going on in the UK this weekend. Oh, that's why I'm so glad that we have one of my favorite people in the world. Normally we do this on his show or we do it on my show and I just I just turn on the the camera, and I see his face and I start to laugh, but we're going to have to do this one on the radio. Sean Atwood is the host of I'm telling you the best true crime series on the internet right now. You can find his work over in YouTube. If you like books, find his English Sean trilogy over at Amazon. You can find his book hard time as well. Six part book series on criminality and trafficking, including books such as Clinton Bush and CIA conspiracies, as well as elite predators. And he's also the producer of an amazing and dark, uh, multi-hour documentary series on Jimmy Savile called Untouchable. He is the one and only my friend, Sean Atwood. Hello, English Sean. How are you? Charlie, your
1: voice makes me warm and fuzzy, and I want to add to your accolades to myself that your contribution to my videos, to my books, you have really helped me expose these pedophiles. Are we allowed to say anything we want on this platform?
0: Sure. Why not?
1: what are they gonna do (laughs) kick us off (laughs) all right well going back to the partners in evil series that i did with you you opened my eyes yeah so much of the prolific rampant sexual assaults of the clinton crime family the coked up governor of arkansas the money flows the corruption the trafficking of the kids from haiti so i salute your work brother and Thanks, you know, man, for everything you've done for our channel
0: and, and the mission. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's always great to talk to you. There's a, it's a big weekend for you guys, right? Your little um, um, Vienna sausage-fingered king over there, Charles. Is, it seems like, is is this the big weekend for the, the coronation? Well, that is
1: pending, isn't it, at the beginning of next month. Oh, I
0: thought I it was the coronation. Is, no, 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 it's, it's early uh, next month, the coronation. Oh, oh, well, I was I jumped the gun on that. Then we can still talk about them, though. Boy, what a what a strange family that is, man. I mean, you've done outstanding work on on their ties to um, well, everything. I mean, it's like you you just just throw a, a dart at the dartboard of evil. And you'll find that the Windsor family has been connected to it, whether it be Nazis or or, um, you know, going back to their, you know, their roles in carving up the world. The idea of the, you know, the eugenics movements comes out of this British roundtable, British royal family society. It seems like they've been up to no good for a long, long time, but they had a real strong cover story or they had a a, a front person in the queen and it seems like she deflected a whole lot of criticism away from that family for as long as she was there but now that she's gone, um, and in the last several years of her life, we started to see the cracks in the facade. We started to see uh, Andrew uh, come un- unglued with the Epstein connections. We started to see the relationships between uh, Charles and Jimmy Savile be brought to the forefront. We had uh, Prince Harry and what he's done to himself. Um, What's the state of the royal family these days as we get into this sort of uh, unfurling of this new um, weirdo king of yours? So, what they've done is created a
1: lightning rod of hatred for Harry and Meghan Markle to deflect from the fact that the royal family has a lineage of inbreeding and paedophilia going back centuries. I know we looked at Lord Mountbatten last time I spoke to you, Charlie, but towards the end of last year, there was a court in Northern Ireland heard allegations that Mountbatten, the uncle of King Charles III, his mentor and associate of Jimmy Savile, abused boys at Kinkora in Ireland. These events occurred in the 1970s when Mountbatten was the last viceroy of India, and that was the final phase of British colonial rule. Et but I've spoke to Richard Kerr, who was a former resident of Kinkora, and he's got a court case going. But in this case that was reported on the end of last year, Arthur Smith waived his anonymity and alleged that Mountbatten sexually abused him along with other minors at the Kinkora Children's Home. And he alleged that he was abused twice in 1977 by Mountbatten And he said that the trauma almost forced him to end his life later as he once rammed his bike into oncoming traffic. Now, we've interviewed almost a thousand people on the channel and it's just a reoccurring theme that these kids who suffer this horrific childhood trauma at the hands of paedophiles often get into drugs, heavy drugs, to deal with it psychologically because they haven't got the tools. And many of them end up dead prematurely, suicides. Is is a massive thing. So William McGrath, Joseph Mains, and Raymond Sample, three men were running kinkora's children's home, were convicted of child abuse in December 1981. McGrath and Mains were providers of young children to the Anglo-Irish paedophile ring, which is now known as the Anglo-Irish Vice Ring. These two men provided young boys not only to Mountbatten but also to Sir Anthony Blunt a man who was the keeper of the Queen's pictures and Sir Samuel Knox Cunningham, who served as private secretary to former UK prime minister, Harold Macmillan, among other notable personalities. Mountbatten was said to have seduced his victims using brandy and lemonade. And there's a quote, he alleges to have been abused twice as an 11 year old by the deceased Royal. It's the first time that someone has stepped forward to take allegations against Lord Mountbatten into a court. That's a quote from Kevin Winters, Smith's lawyer. And I'll continue that. That decision hasn't been taken lightly. He understands only too well that it will be a deeply unpopular case with many people coming, as it does within weeks of the passing of the Queen. And other than Smith, several other allegations of abuse came forward against Mountbatten. Stephen Waring, another alleged victim, died by suicide after escaping from Kinkora which alarmed the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the state police force in Northern Ireland, who who became aware of these horrific activities. They captured Waring hours after his escape, put him in the Belfast Liverpool Monarch Ferry, afraid he would reveal the secrets. And sadly, he jumped from the ferry and plunged to his death in 1977. Now, we've had Andrew Lowney on the podcast, and he's the guy who wrote the book about Mountbatten and Edwina, his wife, uh, it's called The Mountbatten's Their Lives and Loves. And he pointed out that two boys named Sean and Amal, the latter a Sri Lankan, were abused by Mountbatten inside the Classy Bourne, a mock baronial castle in Sligo. And these events happened in the 70s as well. So Amal, Sean, and Waring were all abused in Classy Bourne Castle. So, you know, the sad thing is Mountbatten's dead. He's never going to serve. Anytime and get convict justice. And it just seems that these things are covered up when they're active. And then decades and decades later it all comes out when the the true bad guys have slipped the justice net. But it's good that it is coming out anyway, and, and you know, these these creeps are being exposed because it's still going on to this day, as you've discussed with me, Charlie, honey trap operations, elite paedophiles, royal paedophiles. It's, it's all over the world still.
0: Yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, I have a ton of empathy for these kids. They, they, they're they already in in a bad spot. They wind up in a care home, whether that be Dolphin Square or some other one. And and then they get visits by these elite pedophiles. Cyril Smith shows up. They call him the fat man. You know, they recognize these people uh-huh. right away. Some of them are more recognizable than others. and And, and unfortunately, that creates a problem as well when you're a recognizable british public servant allegedly and you do something unspeakable to a, to a child who can I- later identify you so we get into these other situations with um with some of the ted heaths of the world where you hear stories that the children are taken out on boats and disposed of even i mean where this is a dark this is such a dark topic and and yet and it's hidden by the fact that it is so dark and people don't really want to discuss it but i i tend to take the opposite approach that that maybe in order to prevent something like this from happening in the future, the best thing we can do is talk about it now, get it out in the open, get people to recognize that this is a, a very real situation that has happened in the past, and therefore it could happen potentially in the present and then later in the future, unless we are aware of this. What, you, what have you, in the, the thousand plus people you've talked to, do the many of them victims of this what is their feeling do they want to talk about this does this lighten the load off of them and do they feel like they're getting the message out to prevent it from happening or is this something that is of of so much internal shame to them not that they should feel that way but but i understand it that they that they would rather the whole thing just be forgotten
1: so in the interviews of the brave survivors including survivors of epstein and maxwell It's been an empowering, a therapeutic experience for them to get their stories out there. A function of that, which is really important is that people who have gone through these heinous things and are still alive are inspired to come forward and tell their own stories. So this internet era technology is allowing these survivors to gain momentum online with this force of you know putting these stories out there and exposing these people which is great because this is something that they've relied upon you know they've gone after kids in care homes they've gone after people who've got drug addictions and criminal records in the hope that none of these voices will ever be heard or ever be believed and if they ever did go to the cops in the past it was the victims that often ended up getting charged with something or other because the justice system is used by elite predators as an enforcement arm to silence the survivors. So the internet has provided a way around the traditional system of keeping these people shut up. My fear is that these predators are probably learned to stay away from people in the Western world, you know, people like Virginia Roberts, who was able to speak about Epstein and Maxwell. And these predators now probably focus on some of the poorest regions of the world, We just had Gary Glitter released and sent back to prison here in America. Pop star, one of the biggest names when I was growing up, friend of Jimmy Savile. And there was a documentary about him, Gary Come Home. So what Gary did when he was outed in the UK was he went across the poorest countries of Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, And he found like refugee camps and homes, kids' homes and stuff like that. And he would go in and pose as a doctor. And then at night when they're all sat around, he would get his guitar out. And that's how he ingratiated them with the local kids. Even more horrifying, the camera crew was going through one village one night. I can't remember if it was Vietnam or Cambodia. Retracing his footsteps, Gary Glitter's footsteps. And families were actually coming out and offering their kids to the camera crew. And this was all recorded secretly. And they were saying, how how long do you want them for to have sex with? Do you want them for an hour? Do you want them for the night? Do you want them for days? Do you want them for weeks? And they were quoting all of the prices for the different lengths of time. You could take their kids away and have sex with them for. Honestly, it made me want to vomit hearing this stuff. And this is why it's so important that we've got to keep the heat on these sickos.
0: Yeah, it doesn't do us any good to pretend like this isn't uh, happening. Um, We've watched this go down with um not just the not just the royals, not just with the celebrities, but recently in the news as this week in the news, was a discussion of how the United Nations wanted to um, get in there and and start to lower the age of consent for um for in regions around the world. It made me think like, wait a second, you're supposed to be here helping these people and here we are talking about the you know the 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 blue helmets coming in and um, and f- instead of focusing on like securing resources and 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 making sure that everybody has food and water in these disaster areas their big focus seems to be on let's 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 put some legislation in place where we can just lower the age of consent in these in these poor countries I mean that's that's really seems to be the priority but again I I'm not really surprised. I know that everywhere that those blue helmets go, there's a string of rapes left. And you can look at Kosovo. You can look at places like that. You can look at the the work they've done in Africa. It's very disturbing. Uh, We've got Sean Atwood with us here. When we uh, come back on the other side of the break, we'll talk a little bit more about the royal family. I want to talk to you, Sean, about the Cray twins too. You, you. This is a topic I haven't gotten into too much, but I think that uh, th- these are these are a couple of fellows that that need to be discussed uh, more with Sean Atwood when we get back after the break. This is TNT Radio.
2: Patrick Henningson on TNT Radio. There's different moves that are afoot. Uh, to validate lab leak theory uh, and we said months ago that this would become the official conspiracy theory of the U.S. state Certainly, that's exactly what's happening, sort of formalizing it uh, into sort of the the record books, the historical record as the sort of leading theory. Pretty much this provides the undercurrent for US anti-China foreign policy. That's the important thing to understand about the whole lab leak uh, theory. It kind of gives Americans the green light to justify their hate against China, because they'll believe that China started the COVID-19 pandemic and they invented the virus which then been spread around the world um, miraculously in record time we're told that it jumps on airplanes and then kind of distributes itself that way I mean, if you believe in epidemiological spread models of all these idiots that call themselves scientists I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude but it is kind of ridiculous Patrick Henningsen
3: on today's News Talk TNT Radio
2: If you came across someone struggling with hunger how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak. Would you notice an eight-year-old girl who's not not excited excited for for summer summer. break because she may not be having lunch again until September? Or a single father of two who works three Three
3: part-time jobs and still can't put enough food on the table?
2: Or maybe a mother who cleans offices at night, hoping to find meeting leftovers to take home to her hungry family? Or a war veteran who's having a hard time time landing landing a
3: job and getting back on his feet.
2: I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America.
3: America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council
2: you're listening to Charlie Robinson
0: on today's news talk radio TNT we're back with Sean Atwood check out his true crime series over on YouTube I promise you you will not be disappointed or buy his books go take a look go search his name over on Amazon he's written so many books I can't even keep track of them all but that six-part series on on crime in America is pretty pretty impressive but let's get back to since let's focus again on the on the British component of this, because when we're talking about these elite pedophile rings, it's a dark topic to be fair, but but the British empire, you know, it, as they said, the sun never set on the British empire, which means that they were global in nature. This problem was global in nature. We we talked about Gary Glitter going all over the, the world. We've had uh, situations where these these guys have been rounded up in places like Nepal and Southeast Asia and it, Africa. It's, it's no surprise that this is going on. I'm curious though, in you did a great, a, a, a outstanding documentary on Jimmy Savile. And I, you know, I mean, in retrospect, how could anybody be fooled by him? You know, I mean, Jim will fix it. You take a look at that guy, come sit on my lap. Like, in what universe do people, do kids feel comfortable wanting to sit on that guy's lap? And yet it happened and it was normalized. And I think that. We get a really good lesson from that. We watch the power of celebrity, the power of the media, the the that you can take a guy who rightly looks like a demon, and with the right, uh, the proper amount of window dressing, you can make him out to be uh, a a sympathetic figure who just he just jogs. Sean, he just he's running. He's running for charity. Yeah, he's driving a Rolls Royce, and yeah, he's always hanging out with a bunch of kids. And sure, he's got a. Spare a key to Broadmoor, but, but, you know, all those things, let's overlook that. Look how much money he's raised for charity because he's running. And they've got these mechanisms in place to distract you from what's actually going on. And what was really going on was that this scumbag was a procurer of children for the rich and powerful in the UK. What do we know? What, what lessons can we learn? You know, like you said about Mount Mountbatten, he'll never get the prison justice he deserved. Saville's dead, buried at a 45-degree angle, which is weird. But what lessons can we learn from G- Jimmy Savile to prevent us from walking into, I don't know, the next Jimmy Savile? Well, what we've learned is that
1: someone who came from Leeds, a northern rugby league playing town, who was from very modest origins... Years later, has the top members of the royal family supporting him? Has Maggie Thatcher and the top politicians supporting him? Has all the top military brass supporting him? How does this person go from scratching shit with the chickens to hobnobbing with the wealthiest, most powerful people in the world because he had a dirty secret? and we've discussed this with David Icke, the media has talked about the crimes that Savile has committed himself, but they've never extended it to the procurement and the honey trap blackmail information he had on numerous other individuals. You know, you started out asking me about King Charles and it was Mountbatten who brought Savile into the royal fold. So fellow pedophiles in arms right there. But things got so tight with Charles that when Charles and Diana were not getting along, Saville was brought in as the marriage guidance counselor. Now, I'll read you, because I don't want to misquote here. Let's just look at Charles's words. To Saville, in letters, dated 1987, there was a handwritten note from Charles to Saville. This is how tight they were, Charlie. Perhaps I am wrong, but you are the bloke who knows what's going on. What I really need is a list of suggestions from you. I so want to get to parts of the country that others don't get to reach. In 1989, Charles asked Savile for useful morale-boosting visits, etc., to worthwhile groups, places, projects, and so on that don't get enough attention. He asked for guidance on dealing with specific issues, incidents such as when prince andrew made insensitive comments regarding the 1988 Lockerbie disaster um, with all the deaths on the ground of scotland uh, during a visit to the scottish town just days after the tragedy prince andrew said i suppose statistically something like this has got to happen at some stage of course it only affects the community in a very small way and That, you know, it just shows how these shape-shifting reptilian royals have the conscience and morals of predatory lizards with that quote right there. But on and on it goes with these um, ties from Charles to Saville. In 1989, he wrote to Saville, I attach a copy of my memo on disasters, which includes your points, and which I showed to my father. He showed it to H.M., as in... Her Majesty. Charles asked Savile to meet with Fergie. Uh, I wonder if you would ever be prepared to meet my sister in law, the Duchess of York. This is the future king of England and look how he is talking. He's talking to Savile like Savile's above him. If you would be prepared Amazing. to meet like Oh please, please come meet my sister. Can't help feeling that it would be extremely useful to her if you could. I feel she could do with some of your straightforward common sense. And this is all the time that Savile's victims were coming forward. But because of the lunches, He held for the Leeds Constabulary these weekly lunches, and we assume at these lunches he extended the procurement of the girls to some of these officers. Wherever a complaint came in for Savile around the whole whole of the UK, wherever jurisdiction it was in, Surrey some came in where I'm based now, all those complaints the protocol was would go back to one cop at the Leeds Constabulary that was having lunches and God knows what else hanging out with Saville, and that's how everything got suppressed. I mean, that the guy had an apparatus in place, the connections, the smarts to make him untouchable, and that's the name of our four-hour documentary, which people can watch for free on YouTube. It's called Untouchable, whereby we interviewed a whole range of guests on the Saville subject.
0: It takes me back to that Smith song, Panic, on the Leeds side streets that you slip down and provincial towns you jog around, hang the DJ, hang the DJ, hang the DJ. I listen to that song now and I go, oh, they're talking about Saville. I mean, for sure in the mid 80s, top of the pops, the Smiths, they would have known. Was it well known in the music industry who this guy really was? Or did, or did people just think he was a creep and, and maybe didn't understand the full depths of that?
1: Well, in our documentary, Untouchable, we quoted, we had the clip from Johnny Rotten. And he's, you know, in more recent years, said he was banned for the BBC for years for talking about Savile. Now, Mark Williams Thomas, who is a ex-cop, sorry cop, worked on child abuse cases, stuff like that. He was one of the first to cause the Savile story to break through into the mainstream news in this country and he's recently said that there is a tv personality who is as high profile as Savile in the modern day that is being protected just like Savile was protected now there's a breakfast tv show here on the BBC and it's hosted by a guy called Philip Schofield have you heard of him Charlie I've heard of him yes All right. So there's a case where I think it was his brother recently got convicted of doing stuff with a young boy, a minor. And there's rumors and allegations that Schofield was involved in this heinous activity as well, including with an underage staff member, some kid he hired. And that was all about to be exposed a couple of years ago, but then Schofield came out as gay, which people are saying was a publicity maneuver to protect him from being exposed. I just want to add that this is all alleged. Uh, Schofield has not been convicted of any crimes or charged of any crimes, but that's something that's been talked about online right now that possibly Schofield is the person that Mark Williams Thomas was referring to when he mentioned that there's someone as high profile as Saville right now being protected in the media. And he added that this guy will never be exposed until after his death. And it's a function of money as well, because when a TV company, such as the BBC has got so much invested in a celebrity, that's as big as someone like Savile, that's an industry in himself. He raised tens of millions for charity. All the people who've got the sponsors on the line for that, their careers on the line for that, the viewing ratings on the line for that. It's such a massive industry that even when the heinous, psychopathic paedophilia claims are made, all these people who are profiting from it scramble to cover it up. But the reach is a breaking point, a tipping point, and sadly, in Savile's case, that tipping point only came after his death.
0: Well, this wouldn't be the yeah, this isn't the first time that the BBC has been involved in covering this sort of stuff up either. And 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 we've you know we've we've heard the stories of of the dressing rooms with Savile. Hell, on camera incidents he's had while he was doing the, uh, his shows with the BBC. It. Is the BBC just a, just? It's just the media wing of the royal family. I think it's the media wing of a
1: group of interests. It's like you know when JFK pissed off a group of interests, he had to go. The BBC is like a media arm of a group of interests, as the CAA is the enforcement arm of a group of interests. I think it's more complex than just saying it's the arm of the royal family
0: gotcha. Well, there's a there's a name uh, names that I had been hearing for years, but I don't know the ins and outs of them. These fellows called the Cray Twins. You've done work on them before. Who are these guys? It it to me just the name alone it, it, it sort of sends this idea that there's there's not just one bad guy, but there's two bad guys and they look the same, you know? I mean, I've got this v- image in my head of some really dangerous gangsters. What was their role? Did they have any role? Were they connected in any way to this, um, to this network of, of criminals that were, had ties to, to the Royal family? Because it seems to me if you're allowed to uh, stay stay in business so to speak long enough you must be allowed to stay in. If, if people know you by name and they know that you're dangerous gangsters uh and you're not in sitting in a prison cell then then or maybe they were at some point but um it seems that they maybe are allowed to operate what what's the story with these guys
1: well yeah just like pablo escobar was allowed to operate by throwing down massive amounts of bribery the Quaterins were allowed to operate by being procurers and providers to elite pedophile rings in the UK. So they've been portrayed as lovable rogues for years. You got that movie legend. There was another movie much earlier on. The Kemp brothers, I think played the parts of the twins in that one. And even bigger actor played the parts of them in legend. So, there's been this global interest in the Cray Twins, but none of these major media programs or films about the Cray Twins have exposed their role in the elite pedophile rings in the UK. So Ronnie Cray, he had a relationship and took part in multiple sex orgies with the conservative politician Lord Robert Boothby. And this remained cover up because the contacts went all the way to 10 Downing Street, or for John Pearson, here's a quote from him. This cover up, I can reveal, went to the very doors of 10 Downing Street. The police were told to back off, which delayed the Cray's arrest for five years, which made them untouchable compared to the other London gangs, like the Richardsons, who were sentenced to prison in 1966. And we've interviewed many gangsters, some indeed from that era as well. And some of them have told us on our True Crime podcast lots of stories about the craze. But in recent years, others have come on and started to confirm about the orgies and the pedo ring. And it was Pearson who noted that the orgies, which were held at Ronnie's flat in Cedra Court, hosted other prominent figures such as ex-Liberal Party leader Jeremy Thorpe, Labour's Tom Dryberg and the underage boys present were as young as 10 years old. How foul is that? Disgusting. Ronnie Hart, cousin of the craze, yeah. Admitted that the brothers procured young boys for Boothby in exchange for favors and various gang members gave testimonials over the year. So John McVicker. 1960s East End criminal, he said, the teenage boys that were lured into these parties were mainly heterosexual and found at boxing clubs. Another gang member claimed he overheard Ronnie threatening to hurt a reluctant boy unless he had sexual relationships with Lord Boothby. Ex-henchman Bobby Teal claimed the reason he informed on the brothers was due to Ronnie's sexual interest in his brother. And even the Daily Mirror reported, but he knew the gangster who had raped and abused a string of young men, never stopped until he got what he wanted. As soon as he went for my brother, I knew I couldn't walk away. You had to keep your wits about you if you were a young man, and Ronnie really fancied you. And then entertainer Jess Conrad told the Daily Mirror, word used to go out that the crazes were on their way to a certain pub, and all the good-looking boys used to piss off, because otherwise, if he asked you to go back to the house, you had to go back to the house. And that was it. And um, you know, Mad Frankie Fraser, he's another famous one over here. Said everyone in the East End loved the craze. No woman got mugged, and no children were tampered with. <laughs> so it's quite the opposite.
0: <laughs> it was quite quite the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, what were they running? Were they running drugs? I mean, obviously they were running kids. But 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 what was their uh, main source of revenue back then?
1: Well, one of them was seriously mentally ill and psychopathic and unstable and ended up on in Broadmoor, which is like a, hosp- a prison hospital here in the UK. The other one was more level-headed, but they were running extortion. They had pubs. Uh, all the celebrities wanted to be photographed with them. And the orgy thing that was, was behind the scenes, I'll, I'll give you a bit more on that then because it, it does get even darker. Um, other orgies were held around flats in London, including DJ Alan Freeman, who was a friend of Savile, the Craze had connections to Tattingstone, Suffolk pedophile ring where Boothby was a frequent visitor. And in 1967, a 17 year old boy, Bernard Oliver was found murdered there with his body dismembered and left in two separate suitcases. And the English record producer and songwriter, Joe Meeks, Another rumoured lover of Ronnie Cray was arrested in suspicion of the boy's death and committed suicide less than a month later. Yeah, and then in East Anglia, the Crays were seen giving donkey rides to young boys. They were involved with youth clubs and also had unlimited access to various children's homes. Postcards and letters between Boothby and Cray hinted at visits to the paedophile ring operation running out of Hort de la Garam. In Jersey, there's all kinds of horror stories around that one. And Boothby wrote to Cray on June 6, 1963. Thank you for your postcard. I very nearly went to Jersey myself, as I've never been there and hear from so many people. This is quite delightful. But even after they were put in prison, Charlie, they were running a bodyguard and protection business known as Crayley Enterprise. For stars who came over from America, including Frank Sinatra, And guys we've interviewed on the podcast have told us stories of the craze in prison, you know, buying sneakers for young boys and grooming young boys. And a 1977 prison report on uh, the progress said that Ronald Cray remains an active and predatory homosexual and cares little about who knows it. And then Reggie was rumored homosexual and pedo was reported by the Daily Mail to be found in deep conversation with many young inmates under the disguise of finding Christ and trying to reform them. Does that sound familiar?
0: No, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I'm here to help. I'm with. I'm from the church. I'm here to help. <laughs> oh, Tom
1: Hardy played them. Tom Hardy played them in Legend. Oh, really?
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big name. Yeah huge this is just it's disturbing to me when they elevate these people in in hollywood and they they whitewash their crimes you know to or you know to to hold them up because even if they're kids are going people are going to watch that and and have a um I don't know a skewed version of, of of what this is. I wonder, did they have a situation back then like what Saville had with the uh, Surrey Police Station, where where anybody that was calling in tips against these guys it kind of got collected by a central point, and then the tips kind of disappeared. I mean, were they were they protected on the police level as well? Uh, clearly not at the not to the extent that they wound up in prison at some point, but. But uh, while they were out, were they operating with impunity? Did the police know who they were?
1: Yeah, because everything got shut down because of the role of conservative politician, Lord Robert boothby who was participating in these orgies and who they were procuring for. So he had access to 10 Downing Street. So anything that comes in below that automatically gets shut down.
0: Good they Lord, Downing Street would want, tell
1: Downing Street told the police to back off.
0: You know when George Carlin says it's a big club and you ain't in it. I I get the feeling that he's t- This is part of that big club <laughs> because if if you if you and I go out there and commit crimes, we know exactly what will happen to us. We will wind up in a um, inside a jail cell. We won't be getting you know they won't be. Uh, collecting the information and making sure it goes straight into the shredder but um, but it seems to be if you work your way up this pyramid high enough and you get yourself connected with the right sort of people in which case I mean the wrong sort of people but right for for running criminal enterprise people that are high up in the government and you get them in in, in snarled in your affairs then then they have a vested interest in keeping you out of prison because they keep themselves out, correct? Is that how it kind of works?
1: Exactly. And allegedly Prince Andrew's in that club. But look what happened when it broke out about him in 2019 with Virginia and Epstein. He just fled to Spain with Fergie and mummy come up with the beans to pay everybody off. He's never going to spend oh, a day man. in prison. And it's all alleged. No. It's got, we can only say allegedly about him because he doesn't have a conviction. Yep,
0: yeah, that's true. Boy, I'll tell you, it's it's a disgusting world that we live in. But I appreciate um, I appreciate you bringing light on this. We've got one more sh- uh, segment with Sean Atwood when we get back. Uh, I want to get into discussing, I don't know, some of the the more recent guest uh, stories that have stood out to you in your true crime series. We'll be back after the break. This is TNT Radio. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
3: Well, it's Earth Day tomorrow. And unfortunately, I'm occupied. So I cannot go out Earth Day caroling. I have an Earth Day carol, you know. Oh, Earth Day. Oh, Earth Day. You come in April, not in May. See that? The first Earth Day was back in 1970. I'll never forget it. My high school, Mainland Regional High School of Linwood, New Jersey, had a big Earth Day thing because we were all afraid because of nuclear stuff that we were going to freeze the Earth. There was an ice age coming. And you had all the cheerleaders at my high school, dress up as trees, and they were running around singing a Steppenwolf song called The Monster, except they were substituting different words in. America, where are you now? Don't you care about your parks and waters? So here I am, a short, fat kid, about five foot six, 160 pounds, look like SpongeBob, and I'm seeing all these cheerleaders dressed up as trees. And I decided right then and there, I wanted to be a tree hugger. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi, wishing you and yours the happiest of Earth Days, and enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. It's not a texting the wife seat, a scrolling through your playlist seat, or a taking a call that could be your next job seat. Hi, Marks Plumbing. It's not a replying to the boss's email seat, or a school letting you know about your sick kid seat. It's a driver's seat. If there's someone or something that needs your attention and it can't wait, pull over first because no one's driving if you're distracted. A message from the government of South Australia.
0: You're with Charlie Robinson.
3: On today's News Talk,
0: TNT Radio. Final segment with Sean Atwood, podcast host, author, movie producer, Sean, before we get into this, tell everybody where they can find your work, where they can support you, where they can buy your books, where they can check out this true crime series. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you people, you will not be disappointed.
1: Oh, thank you, Charlie. So if people want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's free. Just go on YouTube and put in my name, S-H-A-U-N, Sean Atwood, A-T-T-Wood. That's where most of this content is. We've got banned content over on The Rumble but all my socials and all my books, which are available worldwide on Amazon, they're all just under my name online. So they, they would all come up in Google. And you asked about the podcast. We do put, we're trying to get content going out nearly every evening of the week, multi-hour content. And you asked about what's coming up and one of the darkest stories we've ever come across, Charlie. My co-host, Jen, just interviewed Laura Galazi, a Scottish woman, who, when she was giving birth, she was 25 weeks pregnant. The waters broke. She goes into this hospital in Dundee. She was told the baby was okay. That they wanted to keep the, the baby boy in her belly for as long as possible, because in the best possible place, and the hospital was the best possible place. So she was, she felt that you know everything was going good. She's given injection to help the lungs for an early birth, um, and then it got to the point where she went to the toilet and the umbilical cord had emerged from the womb. She started screaming, panicking, shouting, hitting the buzzer for the midwives to come. She was put in a bed and she heard something about the baby being only two to three centimeters. And she tried to stay calm, but it, 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 she couldn't. The doctor said, push. And she was thinking to herself, no, I'm not in labor. I don't, I don't feel like I need to push, 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 push. We've got to get this baby out. And then, following several attempts of the doctor pulling at the baby, trying to get him out, um, she was told, "Come on, come on, got to get this baby out! Push, push more! Push, push more!" Uh, this this went on for twenty to twenty-five minutes, and she felt a pop. Uh, the 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 doctor that was pulling the baby out had pulled the legs, and the head had come off. This is NHS oh my God. Scotland. This is NHS Scotland, Charlie. Can you I mean I was oh. I was lis- I was listening to the draft video the other day. I had to turn it off. I couldn't. I got so angry, I couldn't stomach listening to it for more. Can you imagine what that woman yeah. went through? No. 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 This and is the state on, um, of the world,
0: unfortunately. Yeah, they're going.
1: Then on Wednesday, we've got ex-cop John Wedger. It's the sixth podcast we've done with him. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. Some of our content, YouTube kicked it off. It's on Rumble with Wedger. And he was an ex-London Met cop assigned to investigate in what was going on the streets with kids running away and getting put in the sex trade. And his first couple of weeks on the job that he took over from someone else, he filed a record amount of reports. And his boss was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing my job. And he kept filing these reports and he could tell his superiors were getting pissed off with him. And it got to the point where he was tracking down these kids. They were getting pimped out from the co-homes on the weekend. They'd run away, get high, get on alcohol, come back to the co-homes on the weekdays and getting pimped out. And then he started monitoring the customers and he started noticing fancy cars. And these cars were linked to wealthy people, celebrities, politicians. And they shut him down. They shut John Wedge's work down. And they told him, if you keep doing this, you're going to lose everything. And he kept doing it. And he lost everything. And in the end, I mean, he was, he was, he was a cop for, for a long time. But in the end, he lost everything over it. He lost his, 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 uh, his wife, his house, his job. Um, they tried to take his kids and he's still crusading, they tried to put him in prison, and he's still crusading to this day to expose these predators. He's, he's got a pure soul. Now, we've, our podcast with him, number six, is coming out on Wednesday at 7pm UK. And in this particular one, he's talking about the case of Madeleine McCann, and he's also talking about the death of Princess Diana.
0: Oh, boy. Well, what what, 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 what Give us a, give us a tease of the Madeline McCann because that this is a story that I just saw. Kind of jump back in the headlines a couple, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago. I saw some picture alleged to be Madeline McCann at a in a like a teenage or I don't know twenty years old picture, and I obviously I can't verify anything. It's probably a hoax or fake, but I know that there is a lot of. Well, I know that you've done a lot of work on that case as well. I've heard you had people on talking about it. That's a, that's a really wild rabbit hole, is it not, the Madeline McCann case? It certainly is, and there's so many theories about it ranging
1: from that the parents allegedly caused the child to die some way, perhaps by accident, perhaps because the mum was an anesthetist and perhaps using drugs to put the kids to sleep. Caused the kid to die to the abduction theory that David Icke told me about to the opportunist predator that the cop Mark Williams Thomas told me about. He was very early on the scene in Portugal when Madeline disappeared. And what's staggering is the millions that have been spent on this case because the McCann's had political connections and possibly intelligence agency connections in the UK, MI5, MI6. Mark Williams, Thomas, the ex-cop, told me that the average spent on a child missing case is £1,500, which is approximately $2,000. But the McCann's get millions spent on their case, and it continues year after year. So it's a very bizarre scenario you know, why is all this money getting spent when all these other kids are going missing and nothing's being done about it? What actually happened on that night? Because their story is they had a rotor going with some other parents who they would have meals with. And they had a nice view of the sea, I think, at this restaurant. And this rotor was by every 20 minutes or so, a parent would go back and check on all the kids. This hotel offered babysitting services, yet none of the parents utilized the babysitting service. And then at check, I think it was around 10 p.m. at night, Madeline had gone. So Mark Williams Thomas' theory is that Madeline walked off looking for the parents, ended up on the street, and an opportunist predator took her. Versus the cop, John Wedger, who alleges that the parents were involved in some kind of dark activity and the factor of the drugs, the the involvement of the drugs as well, and that the cadaver dog sniffed, did a hit on the parents' rental car. A cadaver dog was flown over from the UK. That the Portuguese cops, I think one of the main inspectors on it, has written a book about it and has... He classified them as suspects right away Um, so yeah it's it's like JFK isn't it no one knows exactly what happened on the day he died so it creates
0: eternal interest in the case yeah yeah and there's that Clement Freud sort of uh, storyline as well apparently he lived not too far away from them and he had a history of being involved and some sort of pedophilia activity activities, I guess, allegedly. I'm not sure if that was uh, ever firmly established, but there was that. do you think? there Was there any there there with Clement Freud or is that distraction? It's gone beyond
1: beyond Clement Freud. It's gone to the involvement, allegedly, of the Podesta's as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. And perhaps the picture you saw was of Julia, who's a Polish woman who recently claimed, and this went viral. I mean, she had over a million Instagram followers, I think, off the back of it. She has the eye discoloration, and she claimed mm-hmm. that her parents had never given her her a backstory, and she believed that she was Madeleine McCann. But the DNA test got done just a few weeks ago, I believe, uh, showing that she's of Polish, um, Germanic, and Russian descent. There's no... English in the, so that was And Mark Williams, Thomas said that she's just mentally ill. So sadly um, the case hasn't been solved.
0: Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a really, oh boy. I mean, that took, that got international news headlines. You know, the fact that we in the United States were hearing about a, a UK child that goes missing on a holiday in Portugal That should have rightly been news that we never even, you know, never even makes it to us here in in the States, but yet it was... Headline news for a long, long time. I wonder, the family, you, you said the family had uh, intelligence ties p- p- potentially, right? I saw some interviews with them and they were, you know, I saw a little duping delight, you know, the, those those unusual and uncomfortable smiles that you see. I was watching the the family pretty closely and they, they seemed, um, I don't know, less than forthright. What, what was your take when, when watching those interviews of them?
1: they had a line to the top levels of government right away which isn't normal for people in these situations and one of our guests said there was some kind of intelligence activity in that area of portugal at the time that's as far as i know it's, you know it's all alleged we never know what's operating in the shadows out there what's sad about this case is there was a documentary made there's been several actually and in one of them they brought these investigators and researchers in and they they in the search for Madeline they found this pedophile ring online and they found all these pictures of kids being advertised and they managed to match some of those pictures to families that had reported kids missing and they went and told the parents you know to give them closure this is where your kid ended up basically but Absolutely horrific. You know what happens yeah. to these kids after they used and abused? Are they sold off for organ transport and trafficking? Yeah. Or yeah, it's great. It's terrible.
0: It? <laughs> it is it's horrible. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. We appreciate your work. We know you deal with some dark topics, but um, listen, we gotta talk about it if for no other reason than to prevent it. Stick around for the next hour. We've got Scott Armstrong from Rebunked. This is TNT radio.